Hello, and welcome to In Session, a podcast where we speak with change makers working towards safe, supportive learning environments within their communities. Our guests include state and local education agencies and their partners, all grant recipients from the Department of Education, using their funding to advance school-based mental health services, support mental health service professionals, and establish trauma recovery and prevention programs. I'm Claire, and this is Annie at the National Center on Safe Supportive Learning Environments, and we produce In Session. On this week's episode, we speak with Dr. Terry Lawler from the Delaware State Department of Education, a recipient of the U.S. Department of Education's Trauma Recovery Demonstration Grant. Terry joins us to talk about Project Thrive. Thrive stands for Trauma Health Recovery, Innovation, and Engagement, and it's a program that provides free mental health services to eligible Delaware students who would benefit from trauma-specific intervention support. Project Thrive is supported by a network of school and community-based partners who work to communicate about and connect students to available trauma-related mental health services. In discussing these partnerships, Terry is joined by Dan Cruz, Chief Operating Officer at United Way of Delaware, Peggy Giesler, PMGConsulting.net owner and Senior Strategic Consultant, and Dr. Heidi Sweetman, Program Evaluator at Sweetman Evaluation Consulting. The conversation is guided by Kathleen Guarino, a Technical Assistance Specialist at the National Center on Safe Supportive Learning Environments. Welcome to today's In Session podcast. We're excited to have Terry Lawler here with us from the Delaware Department of Education, along with some of her community partners, to tell us about the work she's leading around addressing student trauma and building resilient communities. So Terry, welcome to the podcast. Why don't we start by having you tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, your background, and the efforts you're leading at the department. And from there, uh, we can have you introduce the colleagues that are there with you. Great, thank you, and thank you so much for having us. I'm Terry Lawler, and I'm the Education Associate for Trauma-Informed Practices and Social and Emotional Learning at Delaware Department of Education, and I'm Project Director for Project Thrive. And Project Thrive is our trauma recovery demonstration project funded by U.S. Department of Education. I joined the department in 2018, uh, formerly a school psychologist in one of our local school districts, and had been doing some work on training educators on trauma-informed practices, building awareness, and most importantly, strategies for responding to dysregulation and uh, behavior challenges related to trauma and toxic stress. Through that work, got excited about our governor signing Executive Order 24 and Delaware Department of Education being our first state agency to designate a role for leading and expanding the scale of this work in our state schools. Through that, I learned about the funding opportunity and applied in hopes of expanding our work, but most importantly, responding to some challenges that we were having locally with community violence that were really wreaking havoc on a number of neighborhoods and vulnerable school communities. And so with that in mind, recognize that this was not isolated work within the Department of Education. It really is work designed to build community resilience, and we needed to partner broadly in order to get that work done. And so I brought along with me some key partners and friends who I rely on heavily and couldn't do this work without. Number one, we 
joined forces with United Way of Delaware. They were already doing a great deal of work throughout our state, helping folks understand the impact of trauma and adversity, and then also looking at grassroots solutions that could be scaled up across our community. And so we have Dan Cruz with us. Dan is the COO of United Way of Delaware. I also have Peggy Geisler from PNG Consulting and her team uh, join forces to support strategic communications. And then Heidi Sweetman of Heidi Sweetman Consulting who provides program evaluation. We wanted evidence-based solutions, but we also wanted to use our data to drive our work. And Heidi has helped us create a plan that's really cross-sector, but integrates all of the data across the state education agencies so that we're making sure that we are driving change. Yeah, that's wonderful. I'm curious, you know, if you could tell us a little bit about the partners that you have needed to support this grant program? You know, who have you begun to collaborate with as part of this effort, Terry, that may, maybe they were partners you were starting to collaborate with before, or maybe they were partners you had not collaborated with at all. I'm just curious, who, who have you started to partner with to really make this work happen? We started initially with United Way, and the intent was to integrate all of the work that was being done for more of a seamless implementation plan. We partner with our state agencies, all of our youth serving agencies, anyone who has the opportunity to impact the life of a child. We also have worked very strategically with out-of-school time providers, community-based organizations, to make sure that we're able to wrap supports around students and families, because you really can't impact a student you know, by ignoring the needs of the family. And then lastly, I would say we partner closely with our legislators, the Lieutenant Governor's Office and the Behavioral Health Consortium to make sure that policy is connected to our practices. Terry, when you were starting this conversation today and you were talking about Project Thrive and, and the goal of getting students access to trauma-related mental health services as needed, the idea, it sounds like, was to do the best you could do to identify and refer students to those services. And I'm curious what partners you developed in order to do that, that maybe weren't who you originally thought you would partner with as a Department of Education. Interesting. First of all, one of the first steps was to better leverage relationships across the department. Uh, often, you know, we're accustomed to working one individual responsible for a body of work and working very separate. Uh, we needed to break down those silos. We began by inventorying all of the whole child initiatives across the department because that particular inventory document was able to help drive connections within to make sure that we were communicating to all of our education partners that this funding opportunity was available and we didn't want to miss any students. From there, I think it was most important for us to connect with a broad base of mental health providers and not our, for lack of a better word, our typical, you know, big box organizations in order to meet the needs of all of our students and particularly our marginalized students who didn't have access 
to behavioral health funding, we really needed to uh, kind of beat the bushes and find some of those smaller mental health provider organizations and provide an opportunity for them to contract with the Department of Ed. It has taken some time to help them build capacity for managing that, you know, this level of a contract, but that's where support from PMG has been really critical. Facilitating monthly meetings, really helping with business development, uh, United Way and PMG together, creating print materials for advertising. Uh, we've worked directly with Dan to leverage 211 support so that folks are able to uh, text their zip code into 211 and get access to a mental health provider close, you know, in proximity to their homes, but also just having someone to talk through in a navigation way what some of the concerns are about the children in their lives and then getting connected to one of our Thrive providers. And then we uh, most recently have partnered with Maternal and Child Health in our public health division to do some advertising on Snapchat, TikTok, and Pandora so that we're making contact directly with youth through those advertisements, uh, little videos, informational videos, so that they know that the services are available and they can refer themselves as well as their friends. So you build these networks of community-based mental health providers who can help you get students trauma-related services. Then you were talking about needing partners to help communicate that the services exist, right? Um, and I'm also curious what other doors you've knocked on, who else you've brought to the table, because if you, if you build it, you also have to make sure people are aware enough of it to come. And sometimes that means going to spaces that are where kids and families are, but aren't always where schools or departments of education are. So I'm curious who you've brought to the table that might not have been there before. I think that's where the beauty of this four member dream team comes in, because early on, this group decided that an advisory council would be helpful. And that advisory group has members from our local pediatric health division. Community libraries, our public libraries, have uh, turned out to be an amazing hub for family connections and have even offered behavioral health consultation within our library system. But we have made sure to have our state agencies represented as well as our LEA partners and community members who are very much engaged in youth serving work. And I think this is a great time to bring in the voices of other team members. So um, I'd be glad to talk. So this is Peggy Geisler. And with working in conjunction with Terry and United Way of Delaware, what we were brought in to do along with the advisory committee that Terry just talked about was to really understand what the communication needs would be across the landscape and to identify within those communication needs who are core organizations need to address. One was the parents, two were the schools holistically from a referral and standpoint, and the third was the students 
um, themselves in some way, shape, or form, and the providers. And so what we did as a group was try to understand what kind of information would be needed uh, around trauma awareness, trauma information, and then referral, and um, put it in simplistic ways that are accessible to the school district, uh, to the parents, and to the providers, so that they had tools to push out information on how to refer someone, how to identify if someone needs something, where to go, how to go, where to get that information, and make sure that we were giving them the tools they needed to recruit, to recruit kids or to self-refer if you were a child or a parent to self-refer, or if you were somebody in the school, not just a counselor, but somebody who had worked in the cafeteria or worked in the administrative office or a teacher. This was a way that we could make sure that any kid, that there was a concern for a child, would be um, identified and referred quickly into a system uh, where we were all aligned. And so that was part of that strategy. And then United Way was extremely helpful in operationalizing those tools and those that information across the network in a way that branded it, that was easy to read and understand. And we put all of that into a playbook so that people knew what was going on in the program and how they could be engaged with the program. And uh, Dan can probably talk a little bit about the work that they did there to make sure that the branding was uniform and to support it so it was easy and accessible to anyone who would be utilizing those tools. Yeah, I'm happy to jump in if that's a good cue up for me. This is Dan Cruz. Um, to color in a few things that Terry and Peggy shared, when Terry first came to us with the opportunity to partner with her and the department in Project Thrive, we first started to think about how can we add the highest value to the work? And we really looked at that through a couple of lenses and through a couple of questions. The first is really about how can we help with equity and access? And the second is how can we address uh, trust and stigma? As an organization, as a, as a big old organization statewide, uh, the United Way of Delaware, uh, from an equity and access perspective, uh, Terry and Peggy hit this a little bit earlier, but United Way of Delaware one, runs the Delaware 211 helpline. Every state has a 211 helpline if folks aren't familiar. And while that may not be the traditional vehicle to look at for something like this, we do know that is a very simple way to reach the opportunity. We also know that if folks have a need for that opportunity, they may have other related needs as well that we could also take care of. So if we got your attention for one need, let's see if we can help you with multiple needs. Um, and so Delaware 211 line quickly became one of the, if not the most easiest way to access the opportunity. We got a website, we got communication tools, that's fantastic, but simply hitting or connecting with 211 can get you where you need to go. And, and so we were attempting to look at equity and access in that regard. Simultaneous to that, we know uh, that there is there's stigma around talking about mental health. We also know that in order to get to the place where you can have an adult ask for help or an adult ask for help for their child or a child ask for help, you gotta build trust. It doesn't come natural to anyone about anything. It is much harder when you're trying to build that with a, a bit of a taboo topic that we're all trying to destigmatize and break down. 
And so part of what United Way is able to do as well is we work with many, many community-based organizations across the state. And our network with those, we call them CBOs, is important for lots of ways. One of the most important ways is that many families that could, could or need to access this service already have relationships with these organizations. So the trust is already there. I'll pick on an example, the LACC, that's our Latin American Community Center. So we have families that have been working with the LACC for multiple reasons and multiple wonderful services, generation after generation. So it's more natural because the trust is there to have that conversation or have that referral happen at a community-based organization. The department can share that information out and they should and they did, but simultaneous to that, one of the ways that United way has been able to help with stigma and trust and equity and access is for us to also engage those CBOs and be able to refer through the Delaware 201 helpline folks to one of those CBOs as well. So there's a lot of integration. Delaware is a small state, so we all know each other, but it's helpful in this, the regard for Terry to reach out to us at United Way to be able to pull those assets together. And simultaneous to that as well, Peggy mentioned the communication materials to this stigma and trust piece. We certainly developed uh, one pagers that de-stigmatize some of the language, but we also were able to create, I call them motion videos, right? So these are 60, maybe 90, maybe 120 second videos designed not for one size fits all, but for the core audiences for Project Thrive, student to student, family member for student, school member, to refer a student or community-based organization to refer a student. Also for providers as well, short videos, animated videos, again, to try to break down that stigma, build that trust and increase the likelihood that I will ask for help or I will have someone that will ask for help for me. There's so much in this conversation that's really rich and one of the things that really stands out as you all are talking is this braided effort to both identify students, right? Help kids get access to services and to address a lot of the barriers to that, right? So Terry, you're representing the Department of Education and that's a point for identification and referral for students, no question. But I'm also, you know, struck in our conversation today by the importance of partnering with community organizations that already also may be more credible messengers in some way of the efforts that you're looking to create and may in some respects be the larger sources of referral for mental health sometimes than those in the in the school system itself. I'm just curious here if you have anything else to add to that. Yes, well, and if you recall, because of when we launched the project, we were in the midst of COVID. Uh, we really were able to leverage those expanded relationships with community members in order to get services directly to students. Uh, schools were not in operation during that time and had it not been for community-based organizations and the United Way who had put together this really innovative <laughs> opportunity to create learning pods 
and the community-based organizations, but also to provide technical support for them. So in weekly meetings, we were able to talk through what was working in the pods, what behavioral challenges might be coming up for groups of youth, but also identify individual youth who might benefit from some screening and assessment services. So it was almost like the perfect storm kind of coming together. And then add to that, Regulation 508 for an MTSS was launching. <laughs> we needed a way to get that implemented. We're talking about universal screening for a number of things, but non-academic supports one of those areas. We really worked hard to make sure that Thrive and Thrive Access has been braided through everything that we do. I'm curious, I think some of these have already started to come up and Terry, you may have thoughts about this as well as other folks in the room, but what your highlights or successes are that sort of most stand out or are exciting you to date around this sort of cross-sector partnerships to help support this work? I attempted to fall back and let the team speak. They know what makes right. me excited. Right. And that's been the training. You know, having the training institute, having these funds, 85% of the funds go to direct supports for mental health. But we have really maximized that remaining 15% to make sure that we are building a system to sustain the work. The infrastructure has come from the training support. And what's been amazing to me to see is that the opportunity to not only train educators, but all of our partners, our youth serving organizations, parents, <laughs> you know, we have taken our developmental framework and mapped all of our learning opportunities across it. We are documenting our progress through our professional development management system so that I can say at the district, school, and educator level how trauma-aware, sensitive, responsive, and informed we are as a community. But most importantly, I mean, just being able to see it in action, have young people use terms related to regulation and dysregulation, understanding the brain science and how stress impacts their brains. I mean, when I'm in the grocery store and I hear a parent <laughs> and a, or a child say, you know, I'm dysregulated, I need a break. <laughs> and then they're doing breathing together. All of those things are really building a stronger community for us. And, and I think that is at the heart of the work. While we absolutely want to provide services to students that will promote healing and post-traumatic growth and recovery, the goal of going on to live a thriving, purposeful life has been baked into this project from the beginning. And that, I think, is what really makes it sing and what's going to make it sustainable for me. Everything Terry said, I would underscore and agree with. I think what's a piece that's really important to all of us, and we wanted to tease out too, um, is that while we talk about, think about systems and what out, outlives us, Heidi's work around evaluating the work and the intentionality by Terry from step one, day one, second one, to not take a step until we have that in place, because that's what will outlive us. That is what, you know, that the podcasts are important. The work in schools, I think, is incredibly important. Uh, this is what can help us scale and sustain. Uh, the evaluation work is what can help it replicate, because we want it to be great for Delaware, and we want it to stay on, but we want the success to 
to echo and amplify outside of our borders. So the, the work that Heidi has undertaken from evaluation, I think, is really important. So this is Heidi Stephen. Thank you, Dan. I was thinking when you were talking about partners, one thing we don't consider as much is our historical partners. Terry has done a fantastic job connecting with the work, partially because she was doing so much of it, but the Compassionate Schools, she's connected with the work that came before and took time before this started to really make sure we knew what we were doing theoretically. The Delaware Continuum for Trauma-Informed Care that she created with Deb really helped us know where we are going as far as what do we believe we need to be to be trauma-informed. We have a very clear continuum. And then again, as Dan said, Terry baking into this at the very beginning, the evaluation piece, she kind of glanced over it, but something that makes me very excited and I think is a huge success is this database that was created. Because before this, we couldn't look at individual districts and schools and see how much of the training they had participated in. Now we can look at it and we just constructed a heat map that tells us how engaged school districts are, where are they on the continuum, and not as a judgment, you should do better, but as a where can we focus our communication that United Way developed, where can we focus talking about how do we get kids into services from PMG. We can all connect over this common language, this common goal, and understanding where we're trying to go. So I think a huge piece underlying all of these cross-sector partnerships was starting with a common language and a common goal so that everybody is very clear where we're trying to go. We know what trauma-informed looks like, whether you're in a school, whether you're in a community center, we know what trainings we have to offer, where you are, so if this is new to you and you don't know, we know what trainings we have to offer. If you've been doing this forever, but you want to hone your skills. And to that, the other thing of partnerships and infrastructure I was thinking about as you all were talking was Terry and, and the whole team has done a great job taking advantage of people who have already done this outside of Delaware, whether it's looking at Heather Ford's work or if it's partnering with Becky Paz, who does the police training for trauma-informed care. There has been cross-state partnerships of people who have done it well. We are not too proud to ask for where other people have done it well and bring that home. And so I think it opens up a lot of opportunities for us to not reinvent the wheel, but to do a better job at what we're doing. So I really think a key component of the success is that we all know where we're trying to go because we started at the very beginning. We spent a lot of time making sure we understood what is trauma-informed, what are our goals for students. And like Terry said, we want them to meet with providers, but we also want kids and families to be informed so they can take ownership of their mental health and they can use the tools and strategies as well. One of the things that I really like about the data um, piece and having Heidi is to keep us on track checking in with the advisory committee, checking in with us, and we can say, okay, how many kids are we getting referred? How many providers do we have? Are we missing providers in certain areas? Can we target those providers? Do those providers need their own training? Because Terry has a robust training system. If so, let's connect them into the training network. Do they need help with their capacity? Many of our young providers or people coming into that arena, you know, filling out some of the paperwork, going through some of the processes, it can be daunting. That shouldn't eliminate 
children being able to see, getting back to the equity issue, a counselor who looks like them, lives near them, is familiar with their community and helps them be able to navigate whatever trauma or, or has occurred or is an issue for them in a way that gets a better outcome so that at the end of the day, they're able to perform well in school, right? So thinking about it like this, we were thinking about capacity across every What's the capacity of the family? Meet them where they are. What's the capacity of the provider? Make sure they have everything, tools, and the location so those kids can get those needs. What are the capacity of the school? Do they understand where to refer, refer how? Is the community partners able to engage? And then threading all of that together and then checking in and benchmarking. So we, we, we lovingly say Heidi keeps us all straight. You know, she's letting us know where you're doing well and where you may not be doing so well. And how do we improve on that? It's a continuous plan, do, study, act cycle that we all talk about as a team. And we're, you know, not too proud to say, hey, we're not doing as well here. What do we need to do here better? And we let our partners also inform what we need to do better. And we really appreciate that. And we've stayed very nimble. As a matter of fact, today we are doing the next phase of that mapping. So uh, just continuing to use the data to help us figure out where we are and also you know, set a North Star for where we'd like to go next. Yeah, I'll jump in here. Um, this is Annie. I just have one question. I think Heidi, actually, you started to open this up. I'm interested to hear more from all of you or any of you about the specific strategies that you found were particularly successful in initiating these partnerships and in creating them. It's clear that you've been able to leverage and maintain them really wonderfully. So I think it would be helpful if you know, other grantees could hear what what were those initial strategies that were really working in in creating these wonderful partnerships. I think it's helpful to know what else is going on in your community. You know, Thrive is just one opportunity. There are lots of great things taking place. I love to hear about the innovation, but want to see us work more efficiently. And so, when looking for a partner, I look for a win win. I don't want it to just benefit me. How can I support the work that you're doing to make sure that everybody wins and all of our kids and look because they are all of our kids. So the kids and families really benefit. And so that that's how I approach it. This is Heidi again. I think one of the things that I've watched in Delaware in Project Thrive, but again, when I said reaching back historically, is that partnerships have been strong with United Way of Delaware, with PMG. These are partnerships that have been doing the work through different grants, through different opportunities, and these relationships give us a history where each player can bring in their group to be a part of it. And there is this level, as the example that Jan was giving of the Latin Community Center, there's this level of trust because you have solid base partners that meet continually, and then they can bring their group of influence in to meet the needs that they have. And I think you can't minimize the impact of history and relationship in communities where you're asking them to do something that might be a little bit uncomfortable, like ask for support in mental health. Right. And when we think about collaboration, and I call it purposeful collaboration, right? You're asking, how do you maintain these relationships? One is you continuously communicate. We know that that's important. People need to know where you are at all times, what you're doing. 
you celebrate successes. So you give and acknowledge your partners who are doing a really good job um, and you make sure you follow up with them. You set actionable items that you've completed and you show the completion of those actions so that people know you're not meeting to meet, but you're meeting to proceed forward to do a better job with one another. And then lastly, I think as you make sure you have leadership like Terry, like Dan, like Heidi and other partners who are known and trusted in the community and create a relationship so that they can rely on each other. I think during COVID, one of the things that were critical were that some of the people around the table were I call anchor individuals. They were individuals like Terry, been around for a while, and I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean it in a good way, right? And Dan, who's a figurehead out in the community, myself, who's well-known out in the community, trusted, and, and we're going to lead. We're going to be here. We're going to support you. We've given our commitment to this, and we're following through on it. And in collaboration, that's key. I think a lot of people believe that just because you bring people around a table and in a room, that it naturally occurs, and it doesn't. It's why it needs to be purposeful and clear, concise, and communicated well and acted upon. And so I think to answer your question, our collaboration had all of those things and more, and that keeps people wanting to meet. Even when we said we might not need to meet as an advisory group, they're like, what? Oh, yes, we do. We'll find something else to work on for these children. And we're like, okay, you got it. So, I mean, I think it's important not to understate that because none of this could go on without that relationship development. An additional way to say that, too, is um, we did what we said we were going to do. Uh, and, 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 you know, and, and there's a reputation for that. So, it can be a little dangerous when someone says, oh, do you want come partner with us? Come join it. You got to be careful when you say yes to those things, because, you know, what we what we intended to do and what we said we would do, we did, which is if we're asking you to partner with us, we're going to make it a light load. We're going to carry as much of the burden as we can, and we're going to try to bring you answers to your problems. And the grant that Terry won helped answer a lot of the partner's problems. And so... Just bringing an answer isn't enough. It's also respecting folks' time um, and being efficient, as Peggy very eloquently described. And Peggy's work and her team's work around living that promise uh, is really one of the core elements to the success as well. Because I can say it, but if we didn't do it, then we would begin to sully our reputations that we do what we say, and folks wouldn't partner with us next time. So Peggy and her team holding us to those routines in that respect um, is what keeps people coming around the table. And that's part of the secret sauce. We so appreciate this really rich conversation that we're having today. There are so many offshoots of this that I feel like we could have or ask you about. And um, but in in the spirit of kind of time for today and before we close out, our final question to you is what's next for you as a partnership? What's your what's your growth edge? as this sort of multi-sector collaborative that's looking to support this great work for kids and families? That's a big question. Uh, for me, I believe our honest reflection on where we've been and where we wanna go is so important. And so going back to the list of gaps and looking for strategies, whether in the policy area, is there regulation that's going to help us fill these gaps? 
uh, because that's going to drive the next partner that we pursue? <laughs> or, you know, is it something programmatic? Uh, but, but going back and reflecting on gaps and, and filling those gaps and coming up with ways to fill those gaps uh, would be next steps for me. And, and some of that is also related to funding gaps. You know, are there places that we could be supporting young people that is not taking place right now? You know, we, our intent is to build a robust, sustainable system. For me, in thinking about this partnership and what we're doing, there is a national crisis for mental health for children in our country. And we would be remiss if the passion and the relationships we've formed don't take a forward progression to continue to meet a growing need that our community, especially those who do not have the voting power in our communities, by ensuring that we have a network that wherever they would need to access mental health services, we're prepared to provide that. And what better way than through our Department of Education, our school districts and our partners. Um, and so it's more of a real calling with regards to how I feel about it and a passion. So, you know, as long as there's a drive for the collaborative to go forward and I know there's a drive with Terry and her leadership, then we're gonna continue to work towards solving for this issue, at least here in Delaware, I know we will. I would say that as the program evaluator, you can anticipate my answer. It is that we have identified gaps where we want to make sure that we are able to find funding and policies. Particularly one of the things that has stuck out in the literature is students who are transitioning in and out of public schools, whether they're going to a mental health facility, whether they are going to juvenile justice, looking to make sure that those locations are using the same language, are having trauma-informed care, and that those transitions are supported for students. So that's one of the areas that I know just from the program evaluation standpoint, I get excited about and will probably be part of conversations moving forward for me. When I look over my shoulder and I think about um, where we've been the most successful. I look at where we have the most unique opportunities to drive change vis-a-vis -vis other groups that sound the same or are doing some important work. I really think um, that it's around policy and PR. And when I say PR, I mean our unique opportunity because we're a public-private partnership to help continue to destigmatize the perception of mental health, the perception, the misperception of asking for help. Um, we're making strides, but I think that's a unique place for us because we're a public-private partnership. And I think everyone else said policy. I, I agree completely with policy as well, particularly around how it can change funding mechanisms at the state level, whether it be state or federal dollars, so that we can help those families that need us the most. Um, help everybody, don't get me wrong. Uh, but sometimes the families that need us the most have the least, and therefore our systems need to be designed to meet them and meet them thoroughly. And we have a policy perspective and opportunity for that. And I would be remiss if I didn't remind us that we started with focus groups with parents and, and you. Yeah. And we've come full circle with that, yeah. working and hearing with you directly about what they need and what they feel motivates their help-seeking behavior. That's going to drive this work. And so, you know, really excited to see it move forward and could not identify a better group to do this work with. 
Thank you, Terry. Thank you everyone for your time today and for all of the work that you're doing. It's very clear that you're living the belief in the value that no one system can solve any of this or address any of this on its own. We really look forward to seeing and hearing what you do and how you grow over this next year. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. In Session is brought to you by the National Center on Safe Supportive Learning Environments, or NESLE, at the American Institutes for Research. This podcast is funded by the U.S. Department of Education. If you'd like to learn more about NESLE, visit safesupportivelearning.ed.gov. For all questions or feedback, you can email us at nestle at AIR.org. Thanks for listening. Please note, the contents of this podcast do not necessarily represent the policy or views of the U.S. Department of Education, nor does it imply endorsement by the U.S. Department of Education.